Well, that's five people down. Just four more to go. Override signal online? Good. Good. <clears throat> check, check. Well, friends, we certainly heard some splendid tales from your former favorite podcast hosts. Unfortunately, they've retired. Retired? No, uh, expired. You may be wondering what I've been working on. Well, fear not. By the end of tonight's broadcast, all will become clear. Ah, is that a car I hear? Yes. Yes, here comes a battered taxi with Ian, Sebastian, Chad, and Simone. Well, best get the round table set up. Now, without further ado, the Robots Radio Halloween Spooktacular continues. <laughs> Are you sure this is the right road, Sebastian? It's bloody pitch black out here. There's no lights in this street at all. Yep, this is the right road. Purgatory Point Road. My family used to head up through here past Craven Falls to hit up the beaches of Down East when I was a kid. We're good. I've got to be honest, this whole thing is a bit weird from the beginning. First I get this cryptic message from Ken asking me to fly over here, but not tell anyone. And that Ian from Under the Shroud podcast would pick me up at the airport. Then I get here and I get a note and car keys from a courier that Ken would meet at Tom's place. And that Ian has returned to the underworld, whatever that means. And that I should grab his taxi and pick all of you up at a train station in Portland. This has been the weirdest Halloween I've ever had. Hang on. Car on the side of the road. New Hampshire vanity plate. Chad 4LF. Well, that can only be one person. Must be Ken's car. Let's slow up. No one around anywhere. They must have walked to the house. Car must have broken down. If we come up on them in this road here, we'll have to squeeze everyone in. Chad, mate. Gotta tell you, does my head in a bit having a Chad in the car, considering I play the dude Chad on Chad of Fallout 76 podcast. You guys okay back there? Have enough heat? Yeah, we're all good. Think I'll crack a window and get in some fall air. Autumn is way different in England. 
Here, you can really smell the pines and the dry leaves. It's fantastic. A month of watching bad horror movies for the show, and I think I am ready for the holidays. Oh, come on. They weren't all terrible. Jaws The Revenge, a 0% Rotten Tomatoes rating. Also, The Shining? And what's wrong with The Shining? No, no, not the Kubrick one. The 1997 made-for-TV one with CGI Killer Topiary. Oh, yeah, that movie was garbage. A PG rating turned that horror flick into an after-school special. Hey, keep meaning to say that I love your Fresh Tomatoes podcast. There's nothing better than day drinking with friends and watching bad movies, trying to carve something good out of them. <laughs> Thanks. Simone and I are thinking of giving The Outer Worlds a try on PC when it comes out because of your show. Has some awesome background lore, like Fallout in space. Thank you. Yeah, between that and Hidden Pixels, it's been a busy year. <laughs> Tell me about it. Doing the voice of Chad is brutal. Just brutal. But... Our show has really been blowing up, which is awesome. Hey, what do you guys think of Ian's taxi? Yeah, it's, it's great. Really authentic. It smells like gym socks and cigarettes back here. Not that I'm not loving autumn in New England, but do any of you know what's been up with Tom lately? Yeah, I've been worried about him. He posted this wiring diagram in the general channel of the Discord and then deleted it like a second later. No idea. I've known him for a while now, but he's been a little different lately, ever since he got back from that international podcasting conference. He sent me a DM, introduced himself and mentioned that Ken had filled me in on this little Halloween bash, and if I could visit this London rare bookseller. He had an order there for an unpublished works of the mad monk Rasputin. Well, that's a bit strange. Right? I mean... At home, I flip through a copy of his Infernal Reflections folio and his treatise on necromantic binding each evening before I go to bed. But the unpublished stuff is drivel. What? Hey, look. This must be it. I love the gates. Really adds to that gothic horror flair. Weird. Let me open the gates. Return to House on Haunted Hill. No, we're not adding that to the list. It doesn't have Jeffrey Rush, and it's a miserable 33% score. Let's start working on holiday movies. Hey, any luck? Can't budge them. They're sealed tight. But there's a gatehouse here we can cut through. Probably just have to hike up the drive. Great. Think the taxi will be okay here? It's not my car. Uh, hope no one steals it. Do you think anyone would want to? Let's grab our gear out of the trunk. Right through here. Talk about a remote getaway. Who even has a gatehouse anymore? See? Right through the back here. We can head right up the driveway. What? Look at that. What is that? Hang on. The moon's coming out. Oh my god, that's a cemetery. He has a cemetery on his front lawn. Not all that unusual for New England. A lot of homes and large properties in the late 1800s had them. Oh, man, can you imagine a more amazing atmosphere for Halloween? A creepy house, a mysterious summons, a cemetery under the full moon on Halloween. I love Halloween! There's quite a lot of superstition about death in cemeteries. Did you know that in the old days they used to take the bodies of loved ones out of any home or building feet first? They believed that otherwise the corpse would be looking back at the building and calling for someone within to follow them in death. 
Yeah, we've been watching way too many horror films lately. Last weekend we watched that awful Hold Your Breath with Katrina Bowden from 30 Rock. Oh, come on, Simone. It wasn't that bad. College students driving past a cemetery to test the old wives' tale about holding your breath while you pass a cemetery lest the spirits of recently departed get inhaled and take you over. Oh, I saw that. One of them inhaled a recently executed serial killer, and it went about as well as you'd expect after that. Oh, wow. Look up there. That must be the place. What presence. It looks like it was carved out of a nightmare. Jack Lantern's in every window. He must have been here for days carving those. That's funny. Look at those on the second story. That one kind of looks like you, Chad. And that one like me. Nice. Third window on the right. He painted the pumpkin black and carved Chad with a middle finger up. Nice touch. This must be the doorbell. Ha! <laughs> Brilliant! Welcome, welcome, friends. So glad you can make it. Tom, you okay, man? You've been a little... Yes, yes, com- completely, f- more than fine. Totally good, dude. Love the place, man. I couldn't have picked a better writing getaway myself. Oh, here's that book you wanted. It had a certain appeal and some other features that were necessary. Ah, Chad, Simone, how was your flight? Fantastic. Awful. Glad to be here finally. I could use a drink. Well, come in, come in. We can take care of that presently. Sorry about the door slam. The old oak doors weigh a ton. Sometimes they stick and you can't get them open. Are you cooking something? Smells like it's burning. Ah, yes. That's all cleaned up now. Here, drop your things here and let's come through here into the library. I have the equipment all set up. We can go live in just a few minutes after we get drinks in hand. Where is everyone? Jameson and Brenna, David and Austin? We passed Ken's car broken down on the road back there. Simone and I were looking forward to meeting the rest of the Robots Nation. Oh, yes. They're indisposed at the moment. Uh, We recorded earlier, and they're contributing to something very special downstairs. We'll throw a wrap party after we finish recording, you know? What are you cooking? It smells like burnt hair in here. Ooh, are those canapes? (gasps) Out of the way, Simone. There's charcuterie over there with my name on it. Grab your drinks here. We made some spiked ghoul punch with dry ice cubes. Here you go, Sebastian. Let's grab a seat and get going here. All right, now, let's begin. Welcome back to the second half of our special Halloween broadcast of the Robots Roundtable. You heard some amazingly ghoulish tales from our previous podcasters, and now 
we're back with even more tales to terrify. I am your faithful servant and host, Mr. Robots. With me here is Chad and Simone, all the way from across the pond. I'm Chad. And I'm Simone. And we're the hosts of Fresh Tomatoes, the movie podcast, a movie review podcast that each week reviews the most unworthy films found on the Rotten Tomatoes. We watch good movies, bad movies, and lots and lots of awful movies, but we try to approach each one with an open mind and try to find some good in them. Great! I also have Sebastian from the Hidden Pixels and the Outer Worlds show podcasts. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Hidden Pixels is a fun exploration in the little-known stories and lore from popular video game franchises. We tell the story of the Brotherhood from Fallout, and even some tales from The Legend of Zelda. More recently, I started my second podcast, exploring the lore of the new Outer Worlds game, on a show of the same name. Fantastic. My last guest to introduce needs no introduction. Previously, you heard from Ken, writer and creator of Chad, a Fallout 76 story, now, meet the man himself, Alexander Luther, the man who plays Chad Johnson, notorious vault bro in the series. Yeah, thanks for having me, bud. As Ken may have mentioned earlier, our show is a bit of a dark humor that follows Chad and Simon out of Vault 76 in the Fallout gaming universe. As you can probably tell, my real voice is way different than uh, the voice of Chad, bro, owner of the Vault 69 gym, home of Profit. And that, my dear friends, is our creepy cast assembled. As the witching hour is rapidly approaching and the power of this evening reaches its zenith, let's hear our first tale from our friend across the ocean. Simone? I will be reading White Rabbits by Leonora Carrington, and I picked it because... I, it's really bizarre and has weird, cool imagery, um, and I like bunnies. <laughs> the time has come that I must tell the events which began in 40 Pest Street. The houses, which were reddish-black, looked as if they'd issued mysteriously from the fire of London. The house in front of my window, covered with an occasional wisp of creeper, was as black and empty-looking as any plague-ridden residence subsequently licked by flames and smoke. This is not the way that I had imagined New York. It was so hot that I got palpitations when I ventured out into the streets, so I sat and considered the house opposite, and occasionally bathed my sweating face. The light was never very strong in Pest Street. There was always a reminiscence of smoke, which made visibility troubled and hazy. Still, it was possible to study the house opposite carefully, even precisely. Besides, my eyes have always been excellent. I spent several days watching for some sort of movement opposite, but there was none, and I finally took to undressing pretty freely before my open window and doing my breathing exercises optimistically in the thick pestry air. This must have made my lungs about as black as the houses. One afternoon, I washed my hair and sat out on the diminutive stone crescent which served as a balcony to dry it. I hung my head between my knees and watched a blue bottle suck dry the corpse of a spider between my feet. I looked up through my long hair and saw something black in the sky, ominously quiet for an airplane. 
parting my hair, I was in time to see a large raven alight on the balcony of the house opposite. It sat on the balustrade and seemed to peer into the empty window. Then it poked its head under its wing, apparently searching for lice. A few minutes later, I was not unduly surprised to see the double windows open and admit a woman onto the balcony. She carried a large dish full of bones, which she emptied onto the floor. With a short, appreciative squeak, the raven hopped down and poked about amongst its unpleasant repast. The woman, who had very long black hair, used her hair to wipe out the dish. Then she looked straight at me and smiled in a friendly fashion. I smiled back and waved a towel. This served to encourage her, for she tossed her head coquettishly and gave me a very elegant salute after the fashion of a queen. "'Do you happen to have any bad meat over there that you don't need?' she called. "'Any what?' I called back, wondering if my ears had deceived me. "'Any stinking meat? Decomposed flesh meat?' "'Not at the moment,' I replied, wondering if she was trying to be funny. "'Won't you have any towards the end of the week? If so, I would be very grateful if you would bring it over.' Then she stepped back into the empty window and disappeared. The raven flew away. My curiosity about the house and its occupant prompted me to go buy a large lump of meat the following day. I set it on the balcony on a bit of newspaper and awaited developments. In a comparatively short time, the smell was so strong that I was obliged to pursue my daily activities with a strong paper clip on the end of my nose. Occasionally, I descended into the street to breathe. Towards Thursday evening, I noticed that the meat was turning color. So waving aside a flight of rancorous blue bottles, I scooped it into my sponge bag and set out for the house opposite. I noticed, descending the stairs, that the landlady seemed to avoid me. It took me some time to find the front door of the house opposite. It turned out to be hidden under a cascade of something, giving the impression that nobody had been either in or out of this house in years. The bell was of the old-fashioned kind that you pull, and when I pulled it rather harder than I intended, it came right off in my hand. I gave the door an angry push, and it caved inwards, admitting a ghastly smell of putrid meat. The hall, which was almost dark, seemed to be of carved woodwork. The woman herself came rustling down the stairs, carrying a torch. "'How do you do? How do you do?' she murmured ceremoniously, and I was surprised to notice that she wore an ancient, beautiful dress of green silk." But as she approached me, I saw that her skin was dead white and glittered as if speckled with thousands of minute stars. Isn't that kind of you, she went on, taking my arms with her sparkling hand. Won't my poor little rabbits be pleased? We mounted the stairs and my companion walked so carefully that I thought she was frightened. The top flight of the stairs opened into a boudoir decorated with dark baroque furniture and red plush. The floor was littered with gnawed bones and animal skulls. It's so seldom that we get a visit, the woman smiled, so they all scatter off into their little quarters. She uttered a low, sweet whistle, and, transfixed, I saw about a hundred snow-white rabbits emerge cautiously from every nook, their large pink eyes fixed unblinkingly upon the woman. Come, pretty ones, come, pretty ones, she cooed. Dry, diving her hand into my sponge bag and pulling out a handful of rotting meat. With this sensation of deep disgust, I backed into a corner and saw her throw the carrion amongst the rabbits, who fought like wolves for the meat. One becomes very fond of them, the woman went on. They each have their own little ways. You'd be surprised how very individual rabbits are. The rabbits in question were tearing at the meat with their sharp buck teeth. 
We eat them, of course, occasionally. My husband makes a very tasty stew every Saturday night. Then a movement in the corner caught my attention, and I realized that there was a third person in the room. As the woman's torchlight touched his face, I saw he had identical glittering skin, like tinsel on a Christmas tree. He was dressed in a red gown and sat very rigidly with his profile turned towards us. He seemed to be unconscious of our presence, or of that of a large white buck rabbit, which sat and masticated on a chunk of meat on his knee. The woman followed my gaze and chuckled. That's my husband. The boys used to call him Lazarus. At the sound of this familiar name, he turned his face towards us, and I saw that he wore a bandage over his eyes. Ethel? he inquired in a rather thin voice. I won't have any visitors here. You know quite well that I have strictly forbidden it. Now, Laz, don't start carrying on, her voice was plaintive. You can't grudge me a little bit of company. It's twenty-odd years since I've seen a new face. Besides, she's bought meat for the rabbits. She turned and beckoned me to her side. You want to stay with us, don't you, my dear? I was suddenly clutched by a fear, and I wanted to get out and away from these terrible silver people and the white carnivorous rabbits. I, th I think I must be going. It's supper time. The man on the chair gave a shrill peal of laughter, terrifying the rabbit on his knee, which sprang to the floor and disappeared. The woman thrust her face so near to mine that her sickly breath seemed to anesthetize me. Do not want to stay and become like us. In seven years, your skin will be like stars. In seven years, you'll have the holy disease of the Bible. Leprosy. I stumbled and ran, choking with horror. Some unholy curiosity made me look over my shoulder as I reached the front door, and I saw her waving her hand over the banister, and as she waved it, her fingers fell off and dropped to the ground like shooting stars. That was freakishly and freakantastic, Simone. Do you have a favorite Halloween memory? So, I haven't had a lot of very classic Halloweens. Uh, Halloween's not as huge of a thing where I live. And I instead wanted to just relive some really fun, creepy shame. So, I was a weird kid, and I wrote a lot of really angsty poetry. And for some reason... <laughs> Someone thought enough of my poetry uh, that it got published in an anthology of <laughs> children poets. And I kind of remember that it was, like, bad, but I didn't really remember, like, how bad. So I got my mom to send me a picture of the poem, and I'm going to read it out for your pleasure. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell you how old I was when I wrote it at the end. Um, <laughs> so this poem is called Phantom Husband. A wife whimpers as her husband calls, his voice echoing through the desolate halls of the place where he once did stride, where he once talked, joked, and lied. For every night when he was sure his wife was in a slumber, lots of syllables, he would sneak out to a house of lumber. Hmm. There he would his real love behold, and his poor wife remained untold. But one night, as he snuck away, his son woke and insisted on play. He could not let his son know the truth, so stab, 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 he killed the youth. 
But he had another child, whom he killed and bones he piled, for he would never his secret convey of the place where his lover lay. When his cheated wife found out, she took a club and thrashed him about. Then she took a big lengthy noose and strung him with it till he hung loose. This is why, when his voice she hears, her heart fills with her worst fears, and her heart does fill with dread. Hmm. Why, you ask? It's because her husband should be dead. So, <laughs> I wrote that when I was 11, and um, my parents still loved me and did not treat me like an absolute talentless creep. Um, so that's my Halloween story. It's a fond memory, if only because I'm very grateful that my parents <laughs> kept me around and supported me through all my shocking poetry, and no one, everyone was so kind, no one told me that this poem should never see the light of day. And now you have all heard it, too. <laughs> it's interesting how much of our unspoken fears and longest-held superstitions still affect us thousands of years later. But ironically enough... Even though the United States has capitalized on Halloween, it is Great Britain where they all were born. Bringing us is Halloween horror is Chad. This story is called Do You Really Want to Know? Written by Rachel Cheeseman. I read something once that asked me to imagine a world where every lie we told left behind a scar on our bodies. Small lies would leave small marks. Big lies would cut deep, disfiguring wounds. And the more the lie is told, the more the wound is reopened. It tears the skin anew, growing larger and cutting deeper every time. I think that's a terrifying notion. Not that I lie often, certainly no more than anyone else, I guess, there is one lie I do tell over and over again. I died. Not for long, but still. I think it took them less than a minute to start my heart again. Dead, then alive. Just like that. Less time than it takes to recall a favorite song or look back at a beloved daydream. It's hard to even comprehend, isn't it? I remember so clearly the moment they told me I had been dead, that they had brought me back. It was the longest, most surreal moment of my life. I was too aware of everything. The lights were too bright, my heart pounded too violently against my ribs and the ticking of the clock. That ticking. So loud, so incessant, like it was clawing its way inside me, somehow scratching away at my brain bit by bit by bit. That never-ending moment stretched and walked, turning everything I thought I knew into something other, something frightening. I was shocked, relieved, lost, scared, and so many other things my body felt too small to contain it all. Tears dropped unbidden from my eyes, and I didn't even really know why. Then the nurse said the words that changed everything. What did you see? I stared back, uncomprehending at first. What did I see? The ticking of the clock grated against the silence. What did I see? 
Their expectant faces loomed over me, waiting with a curiosity that bordered on desperation. How could I tell them the truth? How could I let them live their lives knowing that, at the end of it all, nothing would be waiting for them? Nothing. They would fall into the abyss and be swallowed by it. I don't know the answer I would give, but my lips began moving beyond my control. I told them I felt warm and loved, that I saw light, every sickly cliché my fractured mind could claw hold of. I would have laughed at how pathetic it was if I hadn't been sure that the laugh would become hysteria all too quickly. So, I lied. It tasted like ashes on my tongue, but they lapped it up with eager ignorance. It was only later, when I had the time to attempt to untangle my thoughts, that I wondered whether other people did the same thing. All those stories of the light, the pull, the connection into something larger, that feeling of peace and knowing that you were loved and safe, had anyone ever really felt that? If they had, was it just the product of frantically firing neurons or a dying brain? The feeling of peace and knowing that you're loved and safe, had anyone ever really felt that? And if they had, was it just the product of frantically firing neurons of a dying brain? Or had they, like me, glimpsed the void and known that to tell anyone was to damn them? The awareness of our own mortality sets us apart from the animals, sure, but our belief in something more, a point, a reward, anything, that's what drives us. So I told the lie, again and again to every well-wisher, every nosy visitor with their desperately hopeful faces that stared intently into my own. They wanted the lie, maybe even needed it, each and every one of them. So I hid the truth, imprisoned it within the dark recesses of my mind. I let it curse and scream and throw itself against the bars of its cage, but I never let it have even the taste of freedom. All the while a new need grew inside me, an idea that laid down its roots and crept and slithered its way through my mind and body like a weed until it consumed me. I had to find others like me. I had to know what they'd seen, what they'd felt. The lie fell from my tongue so often I was half convinced that maybe there was some truth to it. I wanted to believe it. I was no better than the rest of them, wanting so badly to cling to something, anything. But the truth was always there lurking. I had to know what the others saw. I, I just had to. Finding them was easier than you might suppose. Support groups, chat rooms, churches. A lot of them were found in churches. I don't know if the irony of that was lost on them. All sorts of people, and they all had their own way of telling the story. Some of them were animated, others quiet, some confident, others full of trepidation. No matter how the story was told, eventually one thing became clear. It was just a story. Perhaps one in a hundred believed they'd actually glimpsed some kind of afterlife, and even some of them had that glazed overlook of men who believed what they must because the alternative... the alternative would break them. The rest lived the lie, same as me. You learn to spot it in people after a while. It's something in the shadow of their eyes and the determined lines that etch their faces. They see it in me too. We share haunted looks when we pass one another in the street, silently acknowledging the burden we know all too well, all of us dreading that question that comes back to plague us time and again. What did you see?
What would we do if the lie showed on us? If it left us scarred as we feel, how would, how would any of us cope? What did you see? The knowledge of that nothingness would haunt anyone who knew the truth. That terrible, oppressive nothingness. What did you see? The prisoner snarls like a feral beast, rabid with want to break free. What did you see? Do you really want to know? Brilliantly done. While Halloween is a little different in other countries, do you have a special Halloween memory to share? So one Halloween, we were sitting around. We had invited people over to my cottage in order to sort of just hang out and have a normal Halloween party. You know, just a bunch of friends coming over for a bit of fun. So everyone arrived. You know, lots of people, girlfriends, boyfriends, that kind of thing. And we were drinking a little bit. You know, not、uh, all legal, of course, being underage and stupid, because that's how most Halloween stories should go. And We decided to do a séance, and it was not fun at all. So we were getting into it, but we hadn't sort of fully gotten into it because, you know, we were kids. We didn't know exactly what we were doing. We were just discussing the best way to go about it. And my dad walks in, and he sees that we're doing a séance, and he freaks out, and he like. You know, takes the the candles away and blows them out and everything, and he calls me into the other room and he's just like, "You do not mess with that kind of thing." And I got in a lot of trouble for it. And ever since, I don't mess around with that kind of thing anymore. It's very real. I've had interactions with ghosts uh, afterwards. Uh, one of my friends was very much into the paranormal as well. We had a little paranormal club at school. And I think that was the start of my interest because my dad is quite a logical man. He doesn't believe in ghosts or anything like that. And to see him react that way has really, I think, shaped my、uh, surrounding and、um, my history.、Uh, I think seeing my dad react like that has shaped the history. I think seeing my dad react like that has shaped my history of. Horror and Halloween, and how much I love this—the Day of the Dead. Well, switching gears now is our own Sebastian, who hails from New England, where Halloween lives and breathes in October. Let's hear your spooky story. My story isn't a terribly frightening one, but it was the first scary story I had ever heard, so I wanted to share it with you. This is. The thing at the foot of the bed. Now, once there was a man who had a lot of friends and a lot of opinions. Sometimes he was right, and sometimes he was wrong. But right or wrong, he was always very sure of himself. Sitting around one night with some friends, he was talking about this or that. And it got to be quite late. It was midnight, and midnight is the time when people begin to think about things like ghouls and witches and ghosts. But the man didn't believe in ghosts. He didn't think much of witches, 
and he laughed at ghouls. He wasn't afraid of anything, especially anything that didn't exist. All right, his friend said. If you know so much, why not prove it? All right, said the man. I'll prove it. Just tell me how. Well, one of the man's friends said, I happen to know about a haunted house. And if you've got the nerve, how about sleeping there for just one night? The man didn't even have to think about it. I will, he said. I will and I'll prove to you that all this business about ghosts just isn't so. There was no sense in waiting. They decided that the night was just the night. When it comes to ghosts, any dark, windy night will do. Any dark, rainy, windy, thundery night will do very well. They brought the man to the house, a cold, dark, crumbling down house. They opened the front door, and they said, sleep well. All he told them was, I will sleep very well, and I'll see you in the morning. We hope so, they told him, but they left him a pistol just in case. The man took it with a smile. Guns are no good against ghosts, he said. Now the man knew well enough to understand what all the sounds all around him were all about. Wind and thunder, old boards creaking, shutters banging. And if this was a haunted house, well, he was in for a good night's rest. He looked around the room. He was tired, and it was very late. He found a bedroom and an old, old bed. He closed the shutters, pulled down the covers, put the pistol under his pillow, and humming to himself, got ready for bed. In spite of the wind and the rain, it was a warm night. The sounds kept the man awake, and he tossed and turned. And in spite of himself, he waited for ghosts. But there was nothing. The storm passed and the moon came out. The moonlight came in through the shutters. Too nice a night for the ghosts, he thought. Whoa! What was it? At the foot of the bed, shining in the moonlight, the man saw two eyes staring at him. They didn't move. They just kept looking. The man was very still. All he could see were those eyes staring. Carefully, he reached out, and his hand found the pistol. Ghost or whatever it was, he was going to find out. He was frightened, and the eyes kept staring. Quietly, very quietly, he raised the pistol. Carefully, very carefully, he aimed at those eyes. Holding his breath. Yeah! And the eyes stopped staring. The poor scared man, seeing the moonlight reflected from his toenails, shot off his own big toe. That was eerie and chilling. Proof positive that the best horror stories come from New England. Growing up here, you must have had some amazing Halloweens. Now, my favorite Halloween memory is also a slightly creepy tale. It was Halloween when I was in high school, 
and in typical high school fashion, me and two of my friends were visiting the local cemetery. Given the misty, spooky New England setting, and the fact that it was Halloween, I began telling my friends about an experience my uncle had in that very same cemetery. Years back, when my uncle was younger, he became curious about the cemetery near his house and what happened there at night. So one autumn evening, he walked over to the cemetery with his tape recorder. Pressing record on the machine, he hid it behind a large gravestone so that he could know what went on there without having to spend the night himself. Well, the next day comes, and he goes to pick up the tape recorder. He is so anxious to hear what was on it that he listened right there in the middle of the empty cemetery. He couldn't hear much at first, but soon he heard a scratching and a scraping sound. Was it an animal or some creature? He strained to get a better listen, but the noise stopped, and all of the sudden, Martha! It was a voice out of time, as if faded by the years toiled away in that graveyard. Well, my uncle ran all the way home, up the front steps, through the kitchen, and to the bathroom sink, and splashed water on his face. But while his face was down, he felt her tingling on the back of his neck and spine. Martha was behind him, and he couldn't bear to look up in the mirror and face her. So, I finished telling that story to my two friends that cold Halloween night. And we obviously are feeling spooked being in the same graveyard and all. We're all silent, and then we stop walking. All of our gazes are pulled to a small gravestone directly to our left. It was a gravestone that was worn and had one name on it. Martha. Well, before I share my Halloween story with you all, Alexander Luther, what devilish or demonic tale do you have for us? Well, I thought I would do a reading of one of Roald Dahl's revolting rhymes. Um, They were always my favorite books growing up, and uh, I found them quite scary when I was a kid. So I was just going to read this one through and, uh, and see if you enjoy it. It's Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This famous wicked little tale should never have been put on sale. It is a mystery to me why loving parents cannot see that this is actually a book about a brazen little crook. Had I the chance, I wouldn't fail to clap young Goldilocks in jail. Now, just imagine how you'd feel if you had cooked a lovely meal, delicious porridge, steaming hot, fresh coffee in the coffee pot, with maybe toast and marmalade, the table beautifully laid. One place for you and one for Dad, another for your little lad. Then Dad cries, golly gosh, gee whiz. Oh, cripes, how hot this porridge is. Let's take a walk along the street until it's cool enough to eat. He adds, an early morning stroll is good for people on the whole. It makes your appetite improve. It also helps your bowels move. No proper wife would dare to question such a sensible suggestion. Above all, not at breakfast time when men are seldom at their prime. No sooner are you down the road Then Goldilocks, that little toad, 
that nosy, thieving little louse, comes sneaking in your empty house. She looks around, she quickly notes, three bowls brimful of porridge oats. And while still standing on her feet, she grabs a spoon and starts to eat. I say again, how would you feel if you had made this lovely meal and some delinquent little tot broke in and gobbled up the lot? But wait, that's not the worst of it. Now comes the most depressing bit. You are, of course, a house-proud wife, and all your happy married life. You have collected lovely things, like gilded cherubs wearing wings, and furniture by Chippendale, bought at some famous auction sale. But your most special value treasure, the piece that gives you endless pleasure, is one small children's dining chair, Elizabethan, very rare. It is, in fact, your joy and pride passed down to you on Grandma's side, but Goldilocks, like many freaks, does not appreciate antiques. She doesn't care, she doesn't mind, and now she plonks her fat behind upon this dainty precious chair, and crunch, it bursts beyond repair. A nice girl would at once exclaim, Oh dear, oh heavens, what a shame! Not Goldilocks. She begins to swear. She bellows, What a lousy chair! and used one disgusting word that luckily you've never heard. I dare not write it, even hint it. Nobody would ever print it. You'd think by now this little skunk would have the sense to do a bunk. But no, I very much regret. She hasn't nearly finished yet. Deciding she would like a rest, she says, Let's see which bed is best. Upstairs she goes and tries all three, here comes the next catastrophe. Most educated people choose to rid themselves of socks and shoes before they clamber into bed, but Goldie didn't give a shred. Her filthy shoes were thick with grime and mud and mush and slush and slime. Worse still, upon the heel of one was something that a dog had done. I say once more, what would you think if all this horrid dirt and stink was smeared upon your eider-down by this revolting little clown. The famous story has no clues to show the girl removed her shoes. Oh, what a tale of crime on crime. Let's check it for a second time. Crime 1. The prosecution's case. She breaks and enters someone's place. Crime 2. The prosecutor notes. She steals a bowl of porridge oats. Crime 3. She breaks a precious chair belonging to the baby bear. Crime 4. She smears each spotless sheet with filthy messes from her feet. A judge would say without a blink, Ten years hard labour in the clink. But in the book, as you will see, the little beast gets off scot-free, while tiny children near and far shout, Goody, goody, hurrah, hurrah. Poor darling Goldilocks, they say. Thank goodness that she got away. Myself, I think I'd rather send young Goldie to a sticky end. Oh, Daddy, cried the baby bear, my porridge is gone. It isn't fair. Then go upstairs, the big bear said. Your porridge is upon the bed. But as it's inside Mademoiselle, you'll have to eat her up as well.
flawlessly shared. Well, I know how much you love Halloween, so you must have some really great memories to share. Well, Halloween is very different in the UK. Um, we don't go all out as much as they do in America, um, which is a little bit boring if you're someone that really likes Halloween. It's definitely my favorite time of year. Um, I do remember one particular Halloween where we did the usual sort of trick-or-treating. Um, no one's ever prepared for it. You know, no one has any has any sweets or, you know, chocolates or anything. Most people just give you money out of pity, which I think is a really weird thing to do. Um, so we came back from Halloween trick-or-treating, and um, I was staying over at my friend's house with my friend and his brother and his brother's friend. Um and we were going to have a, a sleepover because on BBC Two um, they were doing this night of horror. Um, so they started off with a sort of ghost investigation thing, which they hadn't told anybody wasn't real. Um, people were phoning in and stuff saying, oh, that poor girl, she's got scratched on her face um, and, and things like that. And um, uh, it wasn't it wasn't actually real. But, you know, it, it caused quite a stir um, back in its day. I'm not going to say what year it was because it'll tell you how old I am um, but then we all went upstairs and we got into our beds and stuff and I remember watching uh, Lost Boys was on um, and I'd never really watched horror films before uh, so there, there was uh, I was quite scared and I remember we stayed up till about 3 in the morning and we watched Lost Boys uh, The Howling 4 I think it was the, the werewolf movie and also watched um, Psycho um, but I think it was I think it was Psycho 2 um, I don't know why they didn't have the originals on why, why not put on The Howling and why not put on Psycho why put Howling 4 and you know um, so yeah I mean that was a that was a really good night it was probably one of my fondest Halloween memories uh, didn't really do a lot of trick or treating and things when I was a kid um, but as I as I grew up obviously when I got into my 20s and, and stuff it was just drinking and parties and um, you know Halloween costumes and things, uh, which was really fun. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely that uh, that evening when I was about uh, eleven or twelve years old, um, watching all those movies, and I've been loving horror movies ever since. Thanks for sharing that. And last, we come to me. I've selected a very special tale to tell you. into a hotel late one night and asked for a room. The hotel manager told him the hotel was all booked up. We've only got one room left, he said. It's on the 13th floor, but we don't rent that one because, well, it's haunted. I'll take it, said the businessman. I don't believe in all that nonsense about ghosts. The man took the key and went up to the room to get some sleep. As soon as he turned off the lights and got into bed, he heard the closet door squeak open. A pale, ghostly figure emerged from the closet and staggered forth, its fingers dripping with blood. Bloody fingers, bloody fingers, it moaned. 
When the man laid eyes on this horrible sight, he grabbed his suitcase and ran out of the room, still wearing his pajamas, and left the hotel that very night. The next night, an old woman arrived at the hotel very late at night. The manager told her the same thing. We've only got one room left, but it's on the 13th floor and we don't rent it because the room is haunted. Sonny, I've seen a lot in my day, she told him. Trust me, nothing could possibly bother me. As soon as she switched off the light and got into bed, the closet door creaked open and a ghastly figure stepped out. Its fingers were still dripping blood all over the floor. Bloody fingers, bloody fingers. It moaned. The old woman shrieked and ran as fast as her legs could carry her. A week later, a teenaged boy arrived at the hotel very late. He also took the haunted room despite the manager's warning. He paid for his room, got the key, and headed upstairs. After he had unpacked, he took out his guitar and began to strum some tunes. Soon, the closet door creaked open and the ghost appeared. As before, its fingers were bleeding, soaking the carpet with blood, and it was moaning, Bloody fingers! Bloody fingers! The boy didn't pay any attention to the ghostly figure. He just kept strumming his guitar. The ghost kept moaning and its fingers kept bleeding. Bloody fingers! Bloody fingers! It moaned. Finally, the boy stopped playing the guitar. He looked straight at the hideous apparition and said, Shut up and get yourself a band-aid. That was brilliant, Tom. Well, don't you think it's time you shared? Oh, I suppose you're right, Alex. I'm afraid I have to confess something. I asked all of you here under fake pretenses. You see, a few months ago, I attended the International Podcasting Conference in Romania. While there, I had come into possession of some fascinating blueprints for a a mechanical man. A robot. The robot. And the processes required to transfer a living mind into it. You see, I've long had an unspoken dream to be heard everywhere by everyone. One voice. My voice. The podcast to end all podcasts. Tom, what's this all about? I may be a little drunk, bro, but I'm gonna straight up pound your face in. Wait, why am I talking like this? Yes. You see, 
I have spent the past months building a robot with the capability to broadcast everywhere, into every device and into every mind. Powering it requires talent and ingenuity. The minds of my robot's family, all of you. We're going to be telling stories for a long, long time together. Goodbye, my friend. I don't want to watch the next part. The last minds to bring you to life at last. <laughs> it's alive, alive. <laughs> really, yo, Frankenstein bit. What? What the? You should be vaporized and absorbed. Yeah, about that. English garbage isn't my real persona. This is. See, being a Chad isn't so much as a voice as it is an attitude. Not taking people's crap, always coming out on top. Ken didn't have to put a lot of work into the inner character. Your power cables were easy to rewire under the table. Easy enough to disable your little device on my chair. Now. The other ones weren't so lucky. But now let's wrap this night up. I have eight girls on Tinder to take out tonight for a slice of the chat. Uh, I... what? Warning. Insufficient energy. 85% and falling. No! My calculations were precise. It needs one more. Oh, he'll have one more. He looks hungry, bro. No, 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 no. Get, get back. Get back from me. No! Man, look at that beautiful Halloween moon, Mr. Robot Dude. Uplink completed. Let's wrap this up. I gotta hit the drugstore for my Johnson Saram Rat before our hot date tonight, if you know what I mean. Well, no time like the present. Switch it on, bro. Ready to transmit. Good evening, world. Happy Halloween. My real name actually is Chad Johnson, and I have some dark tales to tell you about one night stands that went wrong, about making out with someone on a club, but then the lights come on and some hideous monster. But you take her home anyway. Turn down the lights, pop some corn. And grab a drink. I have some stories to tell you. And then, we'll be broadcasting my Tinder dates with eight fine pieces of American tail. I think I'll take them to Denny's, and then I'll get them to pay. Bad.
Radio.net.